It's great to see you this morning. I was uh, been praying throughout the week that I didn't destroy Pastor Corey's church, so uh, it's good to see you all. Um, for those of you that weren't here last week, my name is Gary, and uh, Pastor Corey bravely invited me to share God's word with, with you in uh, his absence. So again, this week, I ask for your patience and for God's mercy as we study his word today. So you may, be remember, you may be remember, if you were here last week, we took a quick look. Well, maybe it didn't feel quick to you, and I apologize for that. But anyway, we took a quick look at why so many people around us seem to be so angry and we're even irrational in our country and our culture right now. And sadly, we found that it can be traced to two real causes. The first thing is, is that they've turned away from God and secondly, that they, as a result of turning away from God, they've fallen under the influence of the father of all lies. And uh, I, you might remember that I asked the question then, how, how do we deal with these people? How, how do you speak to someone about Jesus Christ when they've been deceived by the father of lies? And because of that deceit, they're living under God's wrath. How do you deal with them? How do you reason with them? How do you witness to them? How do you talk to someone that's literally futile in their thinking? And uh, I told you last week I don't have an easy answer to that and um, that I do know someone that can give us insight into that and wisdom in that. And that's what we'll be talking about today. So let's open our Bibles, if you have them with you, to John chapter 15. John 15. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jump on down to verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you, send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeded from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Lord, we thank you this morning. Um, for this place to come and study your word, Lord, to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for the luxury of air conditioning. We know that so many around the world, Lord, are, are under trees or in shacks and huts on dirt floors, Lord. But you've provided bountifully for us, Lord. So we pray, Lord God, this morning that because we're so comfortable, we can focus our minds and our hearts and souls on what you have to say to us. So Holy Spirit, please come down on us. Give us your wisdom, your discernment, your mercy, love, and knowledge, Lord. And we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, 
if I'm able, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I, I hate taking my stuff to the shop or paying other people to do things. I really like to maintain things myself if I can. And uh, I take a lot of enjoyment in that. I like to work with my hands. And I'm sure some of you like to do that as well. Hopefully you can identify with that. Um, hopefully something you can't identify with, though, is losing your tools in the middle of a project. I'm kind of infamous for this. Um, maybe I'm really losing my mind, I don't know, but uh, my wife, and un unfortunately I have to admit she's correct in this, always tells me that my projects take twice as long as I think they will, and it's because I'm usually wandering around looking for something. So it's really sad. Usually I'll be in the middle of doing something. I'll, I'll need to grab, say, a bolt or another tool. So I'll sort of just uh, absentmindedly carry the tool that I'm using to go find the other tool. And I'll set it down somewhere, either on the way or when I'm there. And when I get back to doing what I'm working on, <coughs> excuse me, well, all of a sudden my tool is mysteriously vanished and and I'm just kind of befuddled. And unfortunately, this leads to all sort of, well, muttering on my part and self-deprecation and wandering and circling and, and just, what did I do with it? Until finally, I'm ashamed to admit, finally, I remember to say, okay, Lord, you know me. You, you know what I did with this. Please show me what I, where I put this tool in. What do you know? Voila, a few seconds later, Hey, there it is. It's like it mirac miraculously materialized. Um, it's really sad, isn't it, that it takes me so long to seek this wisdom from above. And I hope none of you are like that. My point in this, though, my point in this is that whenever we do things, there, there's a lot of things we do in life that we can do on our own power. I'm sure... Most of you probably don't pray before you start loading the dishwasher. Okay, we can just kind of do this out of road. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't pray before we get in our car and drive somewhere because we've kind of got that. We, there's a lot of things in life that we think, I've got this, I can do it, I'm in control here. Well, and there are a lot of things we can do that way. But unfortunately, when it comes to sharing our faith, that isn't one of those things that we've got, okay? We might think we do. We might say, I've read my Bible 57 times cover to cover. I know my verses and address by heart. Yeah, you do. But that doesn't mean we can go into these encounters without the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One of the bad consequences is of of us thinking that we've got everything under control and it at hand, is we tend to think, as we go into these encounters, that it's our now our responsibility and our burden for that person to come to a saving faith in Christ. How many of you, and I will raise my hand here, have come away from an encounter with an unbeliever and thought, oh, if I'd have just thought of this passage or said this one thing or done this one other thing, then the light bulb would have come on for them. Anyone ever had that feeling? We've all been there. 
On the one hand, that's a good thing because hopefully it demonstrates that we really want that person to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We have his heart for the lost. You love your neighbor as yourself. Those are all wonderful things. But on the other hand, it's not such a great thing because it puts a burden on you. You feel, you think that you're responsible for that person's redemption. It's especially that case in a lot of times when that person's a family member, someone you dearly love and care for, because you want to be with them in heaven. You want to spend all eternity with them. We want them to know here on earth the love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness that comes from knowing Christ, the contentment that comes from living a life with Jesus. So we agonize over them, right? We struggle to find the right words. We want to find the right tools to open their eyes. Again, we think we need to do these things. But listen to what Paul says in Titus 3.5. He says, he, God, saved us, not because of works done by us in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we tend to take on a burden Jesus never meant us to carry. Yes, we're to be as ambassadors. We're to go out into the world to make disciples. But think for a moment about that. What does it mean to be a presbuo, an ambassador? What's an ambassador? He's in a person or he or she is a person appointed to be a representative or a promoter of a specific country or company or something like that. You're just a promoter, an ambassador. That's all there is to that. Okay? Second, we are to be matheo, matheituo, rather, to make disciples which in this case, if you look up the definition of that, is we are to teach and instruct about Jesus. Teach and instruct. doesn't say anything about believe, does it? We're to teach and instruct. So it's interesting. I find it really fascinating that we can all agree with Paul with what he said in Titus 3.5, right? When we say that we came to faith, there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, right? We didn't do it. That was by the work, the regeneration, and the washing of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. My wife says I'm the question guy. Why, then, do we take on the burden of thinking that we're responsible for the conversion of others? Why do we do that? It's not our place. Sorry, I don't know how Corey does three services. Well then, so how are we to deal with the deluded people we spent last Sunday talking about? I think John 15 gives us great insight into that as an answer. Now, I'm not going to lay out for you line by line how we're to deal with people because I can't do that, all right? But we're going to look at this passage. Now, a lot of scholars, as a historical context, believe that... Um, well, we know this was Jesus' last day of freedom on earth. This was the last evening he spent with his disciples. So I kind of think 
These passages from John 14 through to 19 are probably really, really important because these are the last bits of wisdom that Jesus gave his disciples before he went to the cross. Now, many scholars believe that this, at this point of our reading, that they were actually on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and they were walking through the temple grounds. And they were probably looking at the temple as they walked by. The historian Josephus described the front of the temple in this way. The gate opening into the building was completely overlaid with gold. Wow. As was the whole wall around it. It had moreover above it those golden vines from which descended grape clusters as tall as a man. That must have been absolutely spectacular. Commentator Colin Cruz says, if the second part of Jesus's farewell discourse was given en route from the Last Supper to the garden where he was betrayed, his teaching on the true vine may have been given in the temple courtyard with the great golden vine glinting in the light of the Passover moon. You can kind of envision that, huh? So as they're walking through, his disciples are intimately familiar with how a grapevine grows. I'm told it's a major crop there in uh, Israel of how it's necessary to prune its branches back so that it can maintain its health and, and produce abundant fruit. And obviously, as they're walking by, it's natural that Jesus would use that as an analogy. Now, there's a lot in this passage. I'd love to jump in depth to it, like Corey would, but we don't have the time, mercifully for you. So the parts I want you to concentrate on, or we're going to go start in verse 4. We're going to jump into this. I really believe this is important. If you can say that one part of the Bible is more important than the other, I don't know. But I, I really, really enjoy this section of Scripture, and it's one of my favorite sections of Scripture. So again, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. So in these two verses, we see three things. We see an invitation, a caution, and a promise. Invitation, caution, and a promise. So here's the invitation. I want you to notice that in these two sentences, Jesus tells us four times, four times to do what? To abide in him. Some translations use the word remain, others dwell, but I personally like the word abide better because it's not really in common usage, so we don't have a lot of baggage attached to it, okay? So how do we define meno, abide? Well, with the help of some scholars much smarter than I, I'm going to give you a really convoluted, long-winded description of what it means to abide, abide okay? So here it is. It's mean to abide means that Jesus has established himself permanently within my soul. I have continuing, unbroken fellowship and love for him and his Holy Spirit, and that I am constantly living under his divine influence and power. It means that if Jesus were to withdraw from me, or I from him, that I would become a hollowed-out, empty shell of a person, aimless and without purpose in the world. 
to abide in Jesus. So in these two sentences, he tells us to abide in him four times. If Jesus tells us something four times, is it important? I kind of think it is. It's vital, in other words, for us to have Jesus permanently established in our souls, to have continuing unbroken fellowship with him and his Holy Spirit, and to be constantly living under his divine influence and power. It's important. Here's the better part, though. Jesus is telling you, he's telling me that he wants to have the most intimate relationship imaginable with you. Think about that. Closer than you are with your spouse. Parents, closer than you are with your children. Children, closer than you are with your parents. It's an unfathomable thing to imagine. Jesus is encouraging us to constantly look to him, to rely on him, to just be welded to him, to be unimaginably close and connected to him, to abide in him. You can see kind of why that's one of my most favorite parts of Scripture. What an amazing invitation, amen? I mean, it's just unbelievable. The God of the universe wants to have this personal relationship with you. So I have to ask the question because I'm the question guy. And because if I'm honest, I don't like my own answer to this question. So I'm going to put it to you. How have you responded to this amazing invitation? How have you responded to it? Do you begin each morning by turning to Christ first thing before you lean over to kiss your spouse or your children? Before your feet hit the ground, are you inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and guide you and lead you for that day? Do you remember to do that every day? Are you constantly pressing into him every minute of every day? Or do you find yourself like me, out in the garage, wandering around, wondering where I left that tool? It's not a good place to be, is it, looking for the right tools? So then we get to the caution. Again, in the passage, the second half half of verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. As a matter of fact, Jesus emphasizes it. The last part of verse 5, he says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, when Jesus says that as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, he's not saying that if you're not a disciple of Christ, that you'll be able to do anything in life. We know from looking around the world that that's not the case, right? We look at people that obviously don't know Jesus, and they're way more successful than we are. They have way more power, prestige, all those things, money. And we go, wow, Lord, really? Why? And it's not surprising, right? David wrote of that in the Psalms, as he's asking God over and over again, why, why is it the evil seem to prosper? Well, the Lord says he will make the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Hmm. We have a merciful God. So then, if that's not what Jesus is talking about, what is he saying? That you can do nothing 
for, apart from me. Here is what I believe he's saying. What Jesus is saying is that if you're not abiding him, if you're not pressing into him, you will be unable to produce good fruit. Now, what's good fruit? Well, good fruit means something that is beneficial for building up the kingdom of God and serving him. He's saying if you don't abide in him, then all your efforts to tell your friend, your neighbor, your loved one about our wonderful Savior will likely come to nothing if you're not abiding in him. But then here's the promise. Here's the promise. It's an amazing one. If you abide in Jesus, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That's really neat. Jesus, God, the source of all good things, he tells us that when we abide in him, we're able to bear good fruit, and he tells us we will bear it abundantly. Now, I love this again. I love this because, look, the burden for bearing good fruit is not on us, right? He says if we're abiding in him, then, then we will, through him, produce that good fruit. So the burden's not on us. Another passage of scripture, it's a little bit out of text, or out of context, I'm sorry. But Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, abide in him, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens light. So if we remember to abide in him, to rely on him, then all of our Burdens and difficulties in life will be eased. Jesus will carry them with you. As a matter of fact, he'll take on the greater portion of that burden. That's a wonderful promise. He even reinforces that in verse 7. Look at it. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, this is amazing, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What an amazing promise. Now, let me, let me caution you. I, I know you don't think this, but, you know, he's not telling you that if you really, really abide in him, that whatever you wish for, in other words, that Ferrari is not going to materialize in your driveway, okay? I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen. But what he is telling you is if you're praying for the salvation of your friend, your neighbor, your loved one, if you're praying for his kingdom to come here on earth, then you will bear much fruit, and it will be given to you. He will see his work done. He will see his promises fulfilled. And by doing all these things that he's placed on your heart, whatever you wish for will be granted, and that's an amazing thing. And I think about this, and I think how often have asked for things and then not acknowledged it when God has made it happen because we just kind of think this is what we need and Lord, we need you to do this and Lord, you need to do this. And, and you know, some people are really good at honoring things. And I think that's important. I fail there. Um, 
That's what all those festivals were for that, Jesus, that God had in the Old Testament, for remembrance of things, you know. And it's great if we can remember to thank him whenever he does have our prayers come true, because it's important. So ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Again, another question. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you really believe it? Have you embraced that truth? Have you set aside your own limitations, your own fears, your own hesitancy, and believed Jesus when he said, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you? Especially when it comes to sharing the gospel with someone that's a little bit hostile to you? It's hard sometimes to embrace that truth. But we need to abide in him. And if we allow the empowering of the Holy Spirit to take over us, then we will bear much fruit and it will be done for you. It's an amazing promise. And that leads me into what I was going to point out next. He says, but when the helper comes, in verse 26, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now listen to this. And you also will bear witness. Now, this is the third time in John's gospel that Jesus has spoken about sending the counselor, advocate, helper, Holy Spirit to us. And it's interesting here, I'm going to geek out a little bit theology-wise, theology that here Jesus says that he sends the Spirit from the Father, whereas in 14.7, Jesus said that uh, the Father sends the Spirit. What's my point in all this? We have a triune God. Don't let go of that. We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus emphasizes that. And because this God loves us so much, he sends the Spirit to come and make his home with us. And in my house, that's an amazing thing. So one more thing to comment on quickly. I want you to notice Jesus, what Jesus said about the Spirit. He said, he will testify about me. Jesus called him, in the Greek, it's ekinos, which is a masculine personal pronoun. Okay? It's easy for us to envision the Father, right? We all have a picture in our mind what Father God looks like. It's easiest for us to envision the Son. How do you envision Holy Spirit? Okay. He is a person. He's not some ephemeral mist. He's not... The force, okay? He is God the Spirit, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. And the Spirit, the counselor, advocate, helper, is the person through whom we are able to abide in Christ. He enables us. He enables us to bear witness for him. It's through the indwelling of Holy Spirit that we are able to have wisdom and discernment and knowledge of what to say, and more importantly sometimes, of what not to say when we're witnessing to others, especially when they're the lost, the angry, and the deceived. So easy to respond to some things, isn't it? Okay. I want you to notice one little thing, too. I talked about Holy Spirit being a person. I'm kind of deviating here, but notice I didn't say the Holy Spirit. And the reason I don't do that, and this is just for me, take it for what it's worth, 
okay? But when I speak of Corey, I don't say the Corey. When I speak of my wife, I don't say the Jan. So why is it if Holy Spirit is a person that we call him the Holy Spirit? We don't say the God, we say God. God the Father. We don't say the Jesus, we say Jesus, the Christ. Okay, Holy Spirit is a person in that. I just find that that helps me think of him as, as he deserves to be thought of. Okay, so he sends us the counselor, the advocate, the helper to indwell us so that we can witness to other. Again, this is another wonderful promise. He's telling us if we abide in him, he and us, when we listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, oh, I did it. <laughs> My notes have Holy Spirit, but I put it there. Boy, don't practice what I preach. Anyway, we get to share, and he'll give us knowledge and wisdom. And I, personally, I really don't understand why God works this way. I don't know why he chooses to do this. I don't understand, if I'm really honest, why he chooses to give me, to give you, to give all of us so much free will, because it seems to me that all we do with this gift that he's given us is make a mess out of everything, but that's another story. It is how he chooses to work. He chooses you and me to be his ambassadors. Now listen, he's chosen you to do this. He is equipping you to do it, okay? through the power of Holy Spirit, so that we will bear witness about him. So I get this. Get this part. This is great. He sends us. He equips us. And who does the conversion? He does. So he equips us, he sends us, equips us, and then he takes the burden and responsibility of seeing that others come to faith. It's not on us. So don't take that burden and responsibility on yourself. It's in Christ's hands. Now that doesn't mean to say that we don't have a part in all of this. We do, okay? We do play a part in all this. And I'd like to speak a few moments about what we, as God's children, should be doing when he sends us out as his ambassadors. So here's my little list of things we're going to go through. First, remember the person you're speaking with is not your enemy. They're not the enemy. They've been deceived by our enemy. They might be living under God's wrath, but they're not our enemies. Satan's the enemy. Remember that Jesus is weeping over the lost. And remember this, too. This will help you, I believe. He once wept over me and you. Second, we need to be praying. Now, I believe prayer, when we do it properly, through adoration, worship, and supplication in him, that's the means that we, through which we get to abide in Jesus. It's really where he meets us. And this is how we can have this continuing, unbroken fellowship and love for him, his Holy Spirit, and to be constantly living under his divine influence and power. So always, and it doesn't have to be a long prayer. If you remember in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is always saying, oh, remember me, God, for X. And that's the whole prayer. 
it's a good one. Remember me, God, when I, that I'm witnessing to this person. He'll meet that. Third, we need to learn to be truly relational with the people we're trying to reach. I think this means we need to be good listeners. Now, when we go to witness, most of us aren't thinking about how well I can listen, are we? We're sitting there thinking, oh, what can I, what can I, what can I say to them? What, what verses can I use? Can I pound them over the head? Some of you have them with my big boomer. Okay, that's not going to get us real far. We need to be good listeners. And in order to be a good listener, you have to build that trust with that person. Amen? People aren't going to tell you things if they don't trust you. We confess all our sins to Jesus because we trust him. Why? Because we know what do we get from him. Love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. We need to be that person as we're speaking to them. They need to listen. We need to be able to listen to them. They need to be able to trust us just as we trust our, our Savior. I know a young man from another church, and it's, it's, he fell into a really horrible sin, and he's living a horrible lifestyle. And it, and it just broke, breaks my heart because the culture in that church, and it's not just the culture of the church, but it's the culture of their society. It's a Slavic church. Is that you don't do that sin. So he's been cast out. And the good thing was, and I'm not bragging on myself at all, but because I would listen to him, he would come and talk to me, even though he wasn't attending that church anymore. It's important to be that good, good listener. Has he given up the lifestyle? No, unfortunately not. But he knows that I'm a safe person that he can speak to. Fourth, and this comes from being a good listener, we need to learn to ask good questions. Good questions, okay? Good questions show two things. One, that you're really listening to them, that you have a genuine interest in them. So you can use a question, <coughs> I'm sorry, to draw someone out. When they say, when they say something to you, you can say, I'm, I'm not sure I really get that. You repeat back to them what they said and then ask, did you mean this by this or did you mean something else? You see, good questions can draw that out. When you get really good at this, though, you can take that question and point out some flaws in their thinking, especially when the Holy Spirit's leading you. So you can ask a question, said, so when you said that, what do you think that leads to or something like that? You can help people to realize that they, they might be mistaken about something, that what they think they believe in needs to be questioned, and that they might possibly be wrong. And the neat thing about that is you're using a question so that they come to the conclusion rather than you telling them that they're wrong. This follows on from listening and asking good questions. We need to be well prepared when we go into this. Now, this assumes that this isn't some 30-second elevator witness, okay? Um, but that we're, we have a relationship with people. 
When we listen to people, when we listen well, we can discover what their real fears and concerns are in life. What, what do they question? Listen to those things, okay? Listen to the way they speak. Are they a person driven by logic and reason? Or are they a person driven by emotions and feelings? Because you're going to talk to the, each person differently. I'm not going to talk to a scientist, likely, about his feelings. Okay? I'm going to go home and, and find my apologetics books on science. There's a lot of great ones in whatever field he's interested in. And then look at what Christian scientists have said about this and go back and have a great, wonderful discussion about creation or whatever from this. And you'll be relating with them on their own thing. Conversely, if someone's driven by emotions, I'm certainly not going to point out every logical flaw in their reasoning, am I? Because that's how they feel about things. And so what I'm going to do is send my wife, because I'm not good at feelings. <laughs> I wish I could do that. Here's something I want you to realize. You might spend years with somebody and never see the fruit of your labors. God has mercy upon whom he has mercy. But I want to encourage you here. You might be planting seeds and cultivating soil that somebody else gets to harvest from. Okay? You just never know where this is going to lead to in the future. God promises you will bear much fruit. My beautiful wife tried sharing her faith with me for 20 years. Thankfully, I praise God for this every day of life. She wasn't a Bible scholar when we got married, so she didn't know she shouldn't be unequally yoked, and that's a good thing. And she kind of assumed that when we got married that, well, he'll just become a Christian. Well, I'm the question guy. I ask a lot of questions, driven by reason. I'd ask her questions. My wife is given the gift of faith. She believes. She didn't have answers for my questions. Okay? But she prayed for me every day. And it wasn't until she finally gave up on assuming that burden herself and handed me over to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, you're the one that's going to save him, that all of a sudden things changed. God started putting the right men in my cockpit with me. So as we're flying across the country, we could have these great discussions. God put a, a young man in my cockpit with me who was another Navy pilot. wasn't a fighter guy, but we got along all right anyway. But, but he's like, man, you're asking really good questions. They're really hard. I don't have the answers. But, you know, a friend of mine, when he got out, he went to seminary. And he got his doctorate in theology or something, and he just wrote a book. And I think it's got the answers for you. So he gave me a copy of the book. It was written by Norm Geisler and Frank Turek. Frank Turek was a Navy pilot that went to seminary. It was called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. <laughs> I started reading the book. I looked in the back where all the, in the index and all the referrals to the other books and started buying the other books. And in the meantime, I'm driving to work 
listening to the Bible as I'm going to the Word. And guess what? It was by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit that I finally became saved. So it was a number of people. It's God who does the work of saving the lost. Don't forget that. It's him. Don't take that burden on yourself. Okay. One final point, and I want to close with this verse out of 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should per- perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, we live in an instant gratification society, don't we? We, we expect things to be there, bam. And I think it carries over when we witness to people. We just expect that we're going to be able to share with someone and bang, they're going to see the light and wah, they're going to get saved. But it doesn't work that way, does it? And I know it's because we all genuinely want to see that person and spend eternity in heaven with them. But ultimately, remember, God has given us all free will. This is between them and God, ultimately. And remember, no matter how much you love that person, how much you care for them, or for your friends or neighbors, our Lord knows them and loves them more than we ever can. He's yearning over them, too. Because God gave us free will, it's really hard for people to give up their beliefs, isn't it? A lot of times they hold on to things. Even even if you can show them it's incorrect, they'll hold on to that. Because by giving up that belief, sometimes we don't know. For instance, if they're, well, I'll use Muslims and Mormons. If they renounce that faith and come to true faith in Christ, what happens to them in their society? They get cast out by their families. They're ostracized. That's a lot. That's hard for a lot of people to give up. Some people won't come to faith until the last days of their lives. But don't lose hope, because God will ensure that as many will come to repentance as possible. Amen? I want to close with this. I saw a book. I'm not endorsing the book. I know nothing about the author, know nothing about his theology, but I like the title. And his title was this. It says, God is never late, he's seldom early, he's always on time. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for the promise that you have, that that Jesus, you promised to abide in us, and we in you, that you, you give us the most amazing relationship possible, Lord God. And, and you empower us, Holy Spirit, to go out and be witnesses about you. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you use us to be your ambassadors, to go out into the world to make disciples. So, Lord, we pray that we will, we will take you at your word, that we will have confidence, Lord, that we will leave the confines of our homes, our church, our workplaces, Lord, and that we will be bold and loving and merciful in sharing about you because we know so many out there are desperately in need of you, Lord. 
Lord, we just pray for them. We pray for them to come to a saving faith in you, Lord God. We pray, Lord, for a great revival in our nation and in our culture. We ask all these things for your glory, Jesus. Amen.